turn in the back of our hymnals to page 872. We'll be looking at Lord's Day 1 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Those words that we've just sung, we'll be reading them together. I'll be asking the question if you'll be responding with the answers. Questions 1 and 2 and the answers following them. And we're going to be turning in God's Word to Isaiah chapter 40. God's Word tonight, page 599, Isaiah chapter 40. Familiar theme of the Catechism before us tonight. We want to set, our, uh, set out before ourselves that theme as we enter into this uh, study of the Catechism. Direct your attention first to reading of God's Word this evening. From Isaiah chapter 40, and then we will read responsively the opening questions and answers from the Catechism. Isaiah chapter 40, the first five verses. Hear the word of the Lord. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand Double for all her sins. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Turning over to the Catechism. Question one, what is your only comfort in life and in death? We respond together, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, also assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. In question two, how many things must you know to live and die in the joy of this comfort? Responding together, three, first, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to thank God for such deliverance. Dear congregation, as we come into this uh, Study of the Catechism, again, we know that that word comfort is there in the outset of the Catechism. I invite you to do something this week. I'm going to give you a little homework. I want you to go and ask somebody, what is comfort? Ask them that question. What is comfort? I've done that. It's interesting to hear the answers given. I didn't do that this week. But in the past, I've done that. In my experience, the answer usually revolves around something that 
that distracts us from uh, the frailties of life or something that gives relief from the stresses of life, something uh, that makes us comfortable. And ask for, after you've asked that question, if you continue the conversation, ask another question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? It's interesting, the responses you get to that question. What's your only comfort in life and in death? Ah, that's a strange question. That's the response I got when I asked it uh, one time. And, and yet, is it really a strange question? Is it so very strange? We didn't read these verses, but look on in Isaiah 40, verses 6 and 7. The, uh, an angel of the Lord comes to the prophet Isaiah, and it, it, the voice says this, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? And here's the, here's the words. The message, all flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, and the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely. Surely the people are grass. It's the brevity of life. We need to understand that, to face the reality of there's life, but there's also a coming death, physical death. It's not so strange because it's part of our Lives, as many have said, no one gets out of this world alive. What gives comfort in the face of death? Death is an enemy. We can pretend it's not there. We can kind of think we're going to push it off and, and try to ignore it. But it is an enemy. It's a, it's a frightening thing for us to think of the end of life in ourselves. Kind of looms over us, as it were. It's not natural because God, we, we know this because God created us to live forever, but as a curse for sin, it was introduced into the world. Because everyone's a sinner, everyone dies. Because of sin, life is filled with hardship. So, what is our comfort in life and in death? Can we have comfort in a sinful world while facing death? We want to look at that tonight and think about how to answer that question. Just some background on the Heidelberg Catechism. The Heidelberg Catechism wants us to see the Bible's answer to this question. What is your only comfort in life and in death? Or to answer this question, as we look at the Word of God, the Heidelberg Catechism was commissioned by Frederick III. He was a leader in what is now today, present-day Germany, and he was concerned about this question about unity among the churches. There was confusion about uh, just uh, how we would answer that question. How, would we, how is one made right with God? How does one uh, uh, pass from death to life? So he gathered together a team of professors and ministers to work on a catechism. Zacharias Ursinus was the chief author. It was finished in 1563, and it's in, been in use in the church ever since. And I give you that information because it's, it's helpful to us to see that it was in a, a, a place and time to understand its context. We won't go into all of that, but also to help you see that these, were, these are real people, right? These are, and these were real questions, questions that we still ask today. I want us to recognize that there were people connected to this. We often will think about a historical figure and, and have a hard time connecting and saying, well, I, 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 how does that person think? But in this context, this is... This is a question that we ask. It's timeless because death is with us for as long as earth endures. The question, what would be of greatest help for people living in a world under the curse of sin? The question that 
was on the minds of these professors, these ministers? Obviously, the answer would be, well, knowing the content of the Word of God. The message of comfort is key. It's it's central. But there's one problem. The Bible is a big book. Children, here's a little trivia for you. I want you to think about this. I want you to ask, answer the question, how many chapters in the Bible? <clears throat> how many chapters? Over 1,100 chapters. 1,100 chapters. Have you read a book about that long lately? A book with 1,000 chapters? Probably not. How many How many verses? Over 31,000 verses. That's a lot of verses. How many, how many words? Over 807,300 words. There's a lot of words, a lot of content there. How many books in the Bible? I hear whispering, maybe you know it. How many books in the Bible? 66 books in the Bible. What parts of the Bible are useful? All of them. Every part, every verse, all of Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. All of it answers that question of what is your only comfort in life and in death? What book of the Bible is used as the outline of the catechism? Now, if you've been listening in your catechism classes, you know the answer to that. We cover that. What book of the Bible is given the, 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 the prominent place in the catechism as structure for the catechism? It's the book of Romans. The book of Romans. We talk about man's misery. The sin there is laid out in the early chapters of Romans. Then we talk about God's deliverance, his provision of a savior. And then lastly, we see man's response, how he is to live before the Lord. And the Catechism then explains to us, lays out to us, that we are to know our sin and misery, the greatness of it, the consequences of it, so that we might know where and where alone we can be delivered from sin and its misery and how we are then to respond to the one who has delivered us, namely to God, with gratitude, with thanksgiving. Well, that by way of some background of the Catechism Then secondly, this evening, we want to consider man's endless search for security. Man's endless search to be secure. Man knows the frailty of life. He knows just how vulnerable he is to the threat of others, to to frailty. He continues to seek security in life, something that's lasting, something solid. God is that security. He is that life. But in paradise, man turned away from him to look for security elsewhere. We've dealt with the consequences ever since. Think about that. Man turned away from the Lord and and, and was put out of the garden, that only place of security. Where is that security found? It's in the presence of God, in paradise, in the garden of God. And when man said, I know a better way, the Lord cast him out. He says, you may not remain in my presence No one who has sin in them, who is impure, can exist in the presence of a holy God. So they were cast out. And ever since then, there have been 
countless attempts to find security here, there, and everywhere. In Isaiah 40, as we come to uh, this passage that we've read tonight, what's going on? What's, what's happening? Well, God gives a word of comfort. Why does he have to give, or why is he giving a word of comfort at this point? Well, if you look back in chapter 39, you see that he's just announced that there's going to be exile, that they're going to be out of, pushed, uh, taken out of the land, uh, removed from the land, and that they are going to be away from that place of blessing. But he announces that he will bring them back. He had made covenant with Israel. And yet she did not walk faithfully with him. She continued to look elsewhere for security and allegiances, alliances, and particularly to the surrounding nations. And if we were to look at chapters 7 through 39, we see over and over again that those nations that the people of God put their hope in, that they they weren't going to be the answer. Egypt was going to fail them. Assyria was going to overtake them. But then they were going to be defeated and Babylon and so on and so on. There was disappointment, deception, and ultimately discipline for the people of God, for they were looking, turning away from the Lord, looking elsewhere for security. And man cannot provide that security. For apart from God, there is only death. As I said, they were, man was cast out of paradise, out of the garden of God, because he deserved death, he could not re-enter paradise through his own efforts, nor did he want to. He wanted to make security, he wanted to find security somewhere else. Children, you remember Cain went out and he built a city east of Eden. Why did he do that? Because he was afraid. He was afraid. He said to God, after I've murdered my brother, there's going to be consequences. There's going to be results, and I'm I'm not going to be... Uh, protected. I'm not going to be safe. And God says, no, no one will harm you. And yet he went and made a city and, and put his name there, seeking to find security in his own efforts. We think of the Tower of Babel. What did they build that for? They built it for, to make a name for themselves, gather together and to huddle together to protect themselves, to defend themselves. Against, against who? Well, ultimately against God, thinking, well, we can make a place, secure place for ourselves apart from, from God. What are all the big, what are all the empire-building examples in history but man's attempt to make a secure place, to establish oneself, to be secure? For mankind knows that he's exposed. Well, out of the human race, God chose a people for himself. He sought to draw them to himself, not because they were deserving, but to reveal his grace. This election led to the formation of a nation from, the, from Adam, from the, from the seed, Adam and Eve, from the seed of the woman. We talked about that briefly this morning, but then on through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Nation forms, and they are called, they are blessed to be a blessing. They're called to bless others, to point others to where their life, to where their security could be found. But they continued to sin. They turned from God and therefore God disciplined them. They tried to live in the formality of religion rather than in the reality of relationship with God. And that's a, that's a danger throughout history because our, our hearts are not in and of themselves desirous of serving God. We are, we are those who, who will follow our own 
uh, deceptions. God must work in us to establish real relationship and to draw us to himself. This system of sacrifice that God provided in the Old Testament, what did it show them? It showed them the need for sacrifice, but it also showed them that none of these sacrifices could satisfy. They needed a greater sacrifice. Security could not come from just offering animal sacrifice. They needed to trust in God for security, for salvation. He prophesied to his people that he would give a sacrifice, that he would provide for them, cover all their sins, and deliver them from death. Israel was a people redeemed by God, bought back. We can, you could look through all through the history of, uh, all through the Old Testament there to see this way of, of God uh, looking down upon his people, seeing their need. The beginning of the book of Exodus, God says, I've seen my people's misery as they're in bondage to, uh, to the Egyptians long after uh, Joseph passes away, the, as we've been looking at his life. Long after that, a Pharaoh comes and does not remember who Joseph is, and they subject the, the people of God to, to bondage. And God says, I've, I, I've seen the misery of my people, and I'm going to deliver them. And he's pointing forward to Moses and his work of deliverance, but then Moses points forward to one greater, even Son of God, who would deliver us from our bondage to sin. This question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? What is your only security in life and in death? Is a relevant one because hardship and death are with us until the earth ends. Why is there increasing Hardship in this land, what is it? Are we, are we not advanced enough? Are we not uh, uh, smart enough? Are we, are we going backwards? What's the issue? Well, we can see that God blessed this land as the nation walked with the Lord, but as the nation has turned away from the Lord, we've seen that, that God turns over those who will uh, follow their own ways. He says in Romans chapter 1, I'll turn them over and they'll do things that that are unspeakable. They'll do things that are unnatural and, and proclaim progress and proclaim uh, 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 evolutionary advancement instead of recognizing their depravity and their greater and greater sin against the Lord. We're more advanced than ever and yet more miserable than ever. Our prosperity, material prosperity, has not brought us comfort in life and in death. Many people are trying to satisfy their hunger and thirst on something other than the righteousness of God. And, and that's made clear in Scripture that there will not be a satisfaction but in God. God says it this way through the prophet Jeremiah, the people, he's talking about his own people now, the people have made cisterns, bowls for themselves with which to hold water, and yet they're broken and they hold no water. Well, that's the image of, of the life of anyone who's trying to, to find something that will satisfy apart from God. They're, it won't satisfy. They're, there's, no, there's no life there, no satisfaction of hunger and thirst. The Lord says, I am the fountain of living water, yet they have turned from me and have nothing to satisfy them. He says later on in Isaiah, that it is sin that separates from God, iniquity. And this can be removed only by humbly bowing before the Lord. 
God's holy and righteous demands cannot be ignored. He will not deny his righteousness, his holiness. And he will not be satisfied with empty ritual. He says, I don't need sacrifice, open sacrifice of material things. And he knows when our lips are lying and our hearts are far from him. Man looks around for security and tries to find it in many places other than God. God is clear in his word that no one will be declared righteous. No one will be able to come to him by simply checking religious boxes, being moral, saying religious things. He says the comfort comes here where people recognize that I have provided for sin, that I have pardoned iniquity there in Isaiah 40, verse 2. He says, comfort is in this, that I, the Lord, have granted sufficient sacrifice for sin. That is how people can find comfort in life and in death. We must ask this question, where can one find comfort in life and in death? And answer it then according to God's word. God says, speak comfort to a people living in a fallen world. Speak comfort to people facing death. What offers that comfort? Only God's provision. Only his son, Jesus Christ. Difficulty and death are a part of our experience in this fallen world. We live under sin's curse. We cannot reverse the curse in any other way but to look to God, to find our hope and our joy and our strength in Him. We need to acknowledge that we are weak, that we are fleeting, our lives are fleeting, that our life is like the grass that withers and the flower that fades as God declares it to us here in Isaiah 40. It is His Word alone which stands. And He says this, I, the Lord, give pardon for the iniquity of my people. I, the Lord, give full satisfaction for sin. The people of Isaiah's day didn't know what that satisfaction was. They, they heard the prophet Isaiah and they were confused about his message and what he had to say. And yet we do know. We have the New Testament. Paul comes on the scene and says this, that we're born dead in sin, that we're those who are, who, who are dead in sin, objects of wrath. Yet God, who is rich in mercy, has made us alive with Christ. That's where we find our hope, that we're made alive with Christ, that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. He works faith in us, in Jesus Christ, so that we are united to Him. And then we can say, I am not my own, but belong body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. My sins have been removed. He has fully paid for all my sins with His precious blood, His unequaled provision, His unequaled sacrifice. God's justice is satisfied in His perfect offering. His perfect righteousness is credited to my account that I might be certain no more sacrifice needs to be offered. That's really the, at the heart of that word there in the, in the opening question. What is your only comfort? What is your only certainty, your only security in life and in death? That I'm not my own, but I belong to Christ. That I am the Lord's. 
God is satisfied in him to welcome me. The message of comfort throughout the Holy Scriptures, that anyone may come to God through the Lord Jesus Christ and find forgiveness of sins and security in him. By faith, then, we can live through the disappointments of this world and know that we live beyond death, for he has, Lord Jesus Christ, has won victory for us, victory over death. In him, further, we read that we can resist the power of the devil. He has delivered me from the tyranny of the devil. He's watching over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. All things work together for my salvation. Even those hardships, even those difficulties are ordained by God that it might work further for my salvation, that I might lean more and more into the Lord and know the comfort that he gives through his sovereign presence and his saving mercy. Spirit of God testifies in my heart that I belong to God. What can we say together? Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit also assures us of eternal life and makes us wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Look at how that is in the weeks ahead as we study this together. But note that evangelistic emphasis right from the outset. I want us to, to note that as the catechism is laid before us. It says that we're to live wholeheartedly for him now. To declare to a world that is anxious, to a world that feels insecure, uncertain about the future, that there is a place to find a certain hope a solid security. It's in, it's in the Lord Jesus Christ to make him known, to witness to what he has done. Our deepest need is to be reconciled to the creator of all. And what we see here in Isaiah as we close is the fact that he is coming again and that we are mortal, and that is irreversible. So there is a confidence in his coming, and there is also a security in the presence of mortality. Listen to what the voice cries as it speaks there in verse 3. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. His coming is unstoppable. Passage goes on, as we've already seen tonight. Man's mortality is irreversible. He is like grass. He's like the flower of the field, which fades away. Therefore, that question, what is your only comfort in life and in death, is an important one. You and I must prepare death. You and I must prepare for his coming and we must call others to prepare as well so that all might know the security that comes from being united to Christ by faith. Let's turn to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, as we begin our study once again of catechism, As we look into your word, which is a a big book, help us to see that theme woven throughout, the theme of redemption, 
that certainty, that security that is found as we look to you, we can have peace, a hope in life and in death, knowing that if we are in your Son, connected to your Son by faith, that though we die, yet we shall live. That there is coming a day when all the world shall see him. He will come on the clouds and all will see him, even those who have pierced him. He will declare his victory and you will establish your kingdom over all in fullness. And we will know fullness of joy. Lord, as we wait for that day, may we have a glimpse of that. May we have a small taste of that each and every day as we remember that you hear us as we offer prayers to you through your Son. For he is heard. He is our intercessor. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for interceding for us that we might have comfort, that we might have peace, that we might have joy. Go with us, O Lord, by your Spirit in this new week that we might learn, that we might grow in these things, in this comfort that your word speaks of as we draw closer and closer to you in the reading of your word and in our prayers. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.